See 
Yeah, it's Roxy Music. Turn that down a little. <laughs> we don't want the neighbors to uh, know what's going on in here. Um, hey, it's Bug Out Square. It's Mini Radio. It's uh, uh, it's a little thing we do every Tuesday at six to eight. It's uh, it's music. It's um, uh, interviews. Sometimes, uh, sometimes it's just a stream of consciousness uh, on my part, and uh, and those are uh, <laughs> those are just like little trickles. Uh, I really call them streams. Um, yeah, trickles. But hey, how you doing? It's uh, hope it's been a good week uh, for you. A uh, better week. Um, uh, yeah, it's been. Uh, um, it's it's. Uh, I I'm gonna say better. Uh, better week for me anyway. Um, I uh, um, I enjoy myself a little. Uh, more, I guess, than the week prior to that. But enough, uh, enough about me. Um, uh, you no, let me tell you one more thing. <laughs> I had the uh, opportunity, so I, I got this uh, uh, partner, and uh, and 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 uh, um, uh, you know, if you look at the the balance of like uh, how things weigh out. It's like, damn! I'm always, uh, 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 I'm always light on my side. I gotta say, um, uh, but she's she's heavy and 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 dumps stuff on me. And uh, one thing was, uh, yesterday there was a um, motorbike run through uh, San Francisco, and that uh, she hit me too. And I went, and um, it was awesome. It was awesome. It was probably. I don't know, three to five hundred motorcycles, uh, just going from one end of the city to the next, and uh, it was good. It, and it was a Black Lives Matter run. Uh, not a whole, not a whole lot of black folk running, but it's like, um, you know, I'm a BMW fan, and it was great. I was waiting around. I saw this one. I was like, God, all right, I like this bike. I got to talk to whoever owns it, and then. Uh, and it was one of the handful of uh, black uh, people riding, and it was great. Got to talk, uh, talk some uh, BMW with them, and uh, it was great. Uh, it was, uh, it was, it was great. A lot of good reception. It's, it's a tough uh, in this town because it, it's, it's, it has its uh, sordid past, um, and it's, you know, protest things. Um, sometimes they're easier to do than um, the work to make the changes, you know, um, the real work, but it was, um, it was nice, it really was, it was, people were like super uh, cool, um, all the, the San Francisco Motorcycle Club was uh, in on it to help work through the intersections and stuff like that, I mean, they got it down. They alternate and, and get it, and so it was pretty much uh, a straight roll through town. So uh, thank you, uh, who I can't remember who organized that, but um, um, that's good. Um, you know, I'm going to get to, right right away, I'm going to get to the records we listen to, because I've been kind of just been dropping the ball on that. I get into, like, talking and stuff, and then next thing I forget to even mention what the hell we listen to. So let me grab these records. Hold on one second. I'll be right back. Oh, oh yeah. 
Um, yeah, I stopped by the radio station uh, yesterday on the way home and had a little quick chat with uh, uh, Scott from uh, Flat Black Plastic. He was doing his finishing up his show. And uh, I was going to try to get there Tuesday to um, to do a show. So we're, we're kind of, you know, we've, they've, we've, <laughs> I haven't done anything. They're uh, uh, disinfecting everything and getting the, the station all nice and clean. And uh, we're kind of loosening things up. And I think Pam's going to try and run some comedy shows. And some other shows are coming back through there. So, but of course... If you can and you come through the website, please um, donate if you can because we're we're we are in the rears, uh, as they say. Uh, before the, uh, so we had war. We did uh, slipping in the darkness. Um, um, before that, the band uh, the night they drove old Dixie down. Paul Williams. Um, we've only just begun. The Doors, uh, Roadhouse Blues, Alice Cooper, we did Schools Out because, you know, uh, it is, it's like my kid had his last day of school and I got to say it was like, uh, it was kind of sad, you know, because they just try to do stuff through online and yeah, what can I say, other than it was sad. Uh, Janis Joplin, Big Brother and the Holy Company, Down on Me, Laura Nehru, uh, we did uh, Flim Flam Man, Al Green, uh, did Stand, 10 Years After, uh, I Love the Changed World, uh, Public Image Limited, we did uh, Rise, The Clash, The Guns of Brixton, Bob Dylan from the Desire record, we did Hurricane, uh, The Beatles uh, from the White record, we did Revolution, Rolling Stones from the uh, Beggar's Banquet. We did Street Fighting Man, and we opened up with Thunderclap Newman. Uh, something in the air. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, um, it's a tough time for... Uh, uh, it's a tough time for a lot of people. Tough to- uh, tougher for some. Uh, it's... Uh, it's interesting. I've I've, I've come to uh, uh, a point where uh, I I have uh, good friends and uh, uh, and blood who have uh, very different uh, opinions than mine, and uh, I've kind of lost um, I've kind of lost my uh, what do they call it. Uh, uh, I don't know, patience, acceptance, or, or whatever, to kind of laugh stuff off, and, 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 and I can't, and it's, and it's hard, so those of you who are uh, struggling with different uh, opinions with your family and friends, uh, you know, good luck with that, I'm, I'm, I'm trying, um, uh, yeah, I'm trying, but I'm just like, I'm at the point, uh, right now, I'm at the point where I'm not, I'm not really, like, given. I'm not giving much, you know, I got, I'm, I've got my, uh, you know, my, my heels are dug in. So, um, right now. So, uh, all I can say is, uh, let's, uh, keep dialogue. I read a thing about the difference between, uh, debate and dialogue. <laughs> not a big thing, but it's something to think about. Uh, uh, dialogue, I think is what we need right now. Um, uh, 
debate's good too, but I think when you're talking about dealing with uh, um, your your kin and and those close to you, it's uh, sometimes uh, dialogues. Uh, uh, um, it's a good place to start, anyway. Uh, a segment we do here is called Rise from the Basement because it's no lie in the basement we're miles apart. No surprise, going to rise from the basement. What it is, it's home recorded, it's any style, any genre. just has to be recorded where you live, where you sleep. Um, you know, that sort of thing. So if you, you know, some people do stuff on their phones and iPads and some have like nice little studio setups and that sort of thing. So this is, uh, let's see, where this is from Atlanta, uh, Georgia, and this is Pazzi uh, Steklo, uh, P-A-Z-I-S-T-E-K-L-O. Um, this is my stuff, it's old stuff, but I got new stuff, but I haven't posted it yet. So this is, uh, this is Pazzi's old stuff. Um, we're going to do this together. Um, it's a YouTube thing, so hopefully it'll, it'll be cut and dry. We won't have to... Uh, buy anything uh, um, let's see so I'm waiting uh, posi uh, I guess I should touch that you know I could have done this oh crap no I didn't want to do that so I, maybe that's just posi's uh, um, three years ago okay this is uh, let's let's do this this is called be all right and uh, it's posi Steklo out of uh hotlanta um let's see i'm touching this uh the youtube thing i'm not sure if we're gonna get a commercial first maybe we'll get uh, here we go
Uh, that's Simon and Garfunkel from their, uh, I think it's their first record, actually. Wednesday morning, 3 a.m. Uh, that's a Dylan time, uh, song, uh, Times. Uh, they are a change. And we're going back to the basement. This is Antonio Quinton Mack. Uh, hold on, let me go back. Um, uh, Rod W, let's see, for Antonio Quinton Mack. So Antonio, Q-U-E-N-T-I-N, Mack. Um, yeah, this is, uh, um, oh, hold on, I'm gonna, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back, because I got, I got this one all queued up. Uh, this song's called Darkness, so if you dig this, look for Antonio Quinton Mack on Reverb Nation. Got that turned up, I'm touching this.
baby, you know you're the finest woman, the finest woman, yeah, in the town. Yes, I'm in love with you, baby, cause you're the finest woman, the finest woman here in the town. Ooh, baby, now you put it up solid, woman, so it will not come down. Lady Blue. Sorry about that. That was Taj Mahal. Uh, uh, nobody gonna, ain't nobody gonna steal my jelly roll. Go back to the basement. This is uh, this is preteen. If you dig this, look for him on YouTube. Preteen. This song's called Irene. Um, this is uh, Felipe Nunez uh, uh, um, out of Santa Barbara, California. Uh, here it goes. I'm turning that, we're touching this.
never It's also very rude
Yeah, it's been Bug House Square. It's uh, it's a pleasure um, to do this. Uh, try to make it a good good week. Uh, try to do the best you can. Um, try to uh, try to try. Uh, yeah, I've been kind of. Uh, I've kind of uh, there we go. Baby. 
Smile is in the face. 
when you hear the trippy music, you know what time it is. I'm so excited. Today is a little bit different. I am pre-recording some Call Me Tim because I have the most exciting interview that I've ever had on Some Call Me Tim. Well, today on Some Call Me Tim, I actually have Wania, the bow of season six alone. How did that happen? Oh, things happen on Netflix, and then get into them, and then, oh, you get on Facebook, and they're real people. She's a real person. She answered her fan mail, because I am a super fan. It's hard for me to express... I don't want to tell her this stuff because it's weird, but she'll hear it on the thing later. But I'm, I used to be a reality TV junkie. Before I started living like an authentic life that I wanted to live and spent my time the way I thought it should be spent to like make the universe and my universe and the whole situation better, I spent a lot of time watching screens and being really into reality TV. And in my late 20s early 30s I would say that it was my main goal in my life to be on a reality TV show now I look back at that and I think like oh maybe my reasons were a little more vapid or but this alone show is no joke if you haven't checked it out on Netflix yet season six wow like it's people surviving sur thriving as Sonia will put it on her, uh, alone. <laughs> they have cameras, their own cameras. Nobody's filming them. They're filming themselves and they're surviving and they're making their own water or food, finding it, building a shelter. It's like crazy, but great. Not pejoratively crazy. Like, wow. Like superhero stuff. Living the way I would pretend as a child, like in my backyard, like, oh, look what I'm doing. But they're really out there. 73 days. She was out there for 73 days. And I'm watching the show and I'm crying and I'm crying. And there's all these amazing moments. She's dancing with the sun and she's squirrels, thanking the squirrels and being so grateful to everything she ate. And just like, and I'm crying. I mean, oh. It was just, it was amazing. And she's a woman. There were so many women out there. And I was so impressed because I just, when it started, I was like, oh, three women. And she's a feminist superhero. And I can't wait to ask her so many questions. She's calling like right now. It's going to happen. It's going to happen like right now. Okay, I'm like, I did this. I started it a little bit early before she called because I was trying to like center myself so I wouldn't fangirl out on like the explanation of Alone before I started. For those of you who haven't seen the show, it's not like regular reality TV. Let's put it that way. I mean, it is in that they edited things heavily. And I want to ask Vinia quite a bit about what they left out. And I watched, she has a YouTube channel on Buckskin Revolution where you can watch the Alone series and then listen to her as she unpacks each episode. Um, 
and says like the things that she could say and couldn't say because I guess they had a, a DNR or something about the show. I guess reality TV shows do that. You can't release anything before it happens on the TV. But uh, she has her Buckskin Revolution channel that you should check out on YouTube where she also teaches life schools. There she is, there she is. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, here she is, okay. Oh, see, I already made a mistake. Hi, Winia. Hi, Sam. How are you? I, I already fangirled out a little bit to the audience before you called to like calm myself down and sort of like uh-huh. explain what alone is for maybe some of the people that hadn't seen it. But you're more than alone. Uh-huh. That's the thing, too. I didn't want to just like talk about alone today. Hi. Okay. Okay. I'm calm. I'm together. You're so cool. I'm just like over the moon oh, to like. I mean, you didn't even have snare wire, and you caught rabbits? Okay. I know. I actually got a snarky comment on my YouTube channel today about how bad I did and how they couldn't believe I couldn't catch fish in a lake that was teeming with fish and how bad my trapping was. And it's so funny what people think they know about a thing. Like, they didn't really advertise that I don't have snare wire, so most people have no idea that that was one of the challenges that was going on. You had no fish. Well, that's, and they mentioned that at some point, that each place that they dropped people, each campsite is the wrong word, each place in the wilderness where you had the opportunity to live, they were all different. And so some had fish and some had, you had uh, squirrels and rabbits and berries. Not everybody had berries, right? Like... I had less berries than most people, I think, actually, because I didn't have much in the way of blueberries. You know, every site was different, for sure. Yeah, but it wasn't really true that, like, they all have equal mm. resources. They tried to give them the best, you know, they tried to make it the best swath and distribute the sites as well as possible. But some sites had way more resources than others, for sure. Yeah, well, which would you have... That's the luck of the job. That's the real world. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's we... not Disneyland. It's the wild. Which which uh, which which site would you have wanted to be on? Watching it after, would you have said, "Oh, if I would have been there"? Did you have even that thought of like, "Oh, if I would have been in that no. spot"? I mean, the thought that had I been in a spot with more resources, mm-hmm. I could have done better and stayed longer. But I was in love with the place that I was, and when you're out there, you don't you have absolutely no idea what <sighs> what other sites are like and what other people have access to, and. There's really no point thinking about what you don't have because that doesn't fit you anywhere. Right. Well, but isn't that what you can do with what you've got? That's a mindset I think that we have in our real lives here all the time is that when we focus on the things that we that someone else has or that we don't have and then it creates like suffering and misery that doesn't even need to be there. It's like what we can exactly. appreciate our own so okay so first I have questions not about alone where does your name where does Wania come from what is the derivation of your super cool name yeah that's a great question so the the story of it is um one that is interesting and not necessarily super cool um so when I was a teenager um when I was uh 19 I went and I did a summer course there was a backpacking field study so it was eight weeks backpacking in the mountains of Idaho, which was amazing. And one of the traditions of the course was that everyone take a, a trail name during that time, um, just to kind of set it aside as a thing separate from your normal life. And so I did that, and I was really interested in ancestral skills and starting to learn more of these life ways that are the things that I'm into now. 
and I found a book of Lakota stories, and um, Romia was a name. I wanted something that sounded beautiful and had a beautiful meaning and was something that I really identified with. And, um, and so Romia is a really powerful word that means um, like the life spirit when it's not incorporated in a body. It means the breath of life. And so I took that on as my trail name. And after, after going by it for so long, and it was a very, very transformative summer, um, I decided to keep that as my name. And so the, the not pretty part of it is that that's totally cultural appropriation. Oh. And I, you know, I was a young woman and I didn't really have that lens and I didn't understand, you know, I had no concept of that or why it might not be a great choice. So, um, so that's where Wonia comes from, is from a young woman who just named herself uh, a word from another tradition that wasn't her own. And I do think it's beautiful and I do really identify with it. And it's not a choice that I would make today, but I've gone by that longer than I went by the name I was given. And also I feel like it's a way to introduce it's that keeping that name, um, brings up the conversation yeah. and allows me to talk about the concept of cultural appropriation and just like changing it back would be like, uh, letting myself off the hook and pretending that I didn't make an inappropriate choice when I didn't know any better. And it gives me this kind of like this way of addressing such issues from a place of humility as someone who gets it because they've done that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's a great question and it's not, you know, um, yeah, it's not always an easy subject for me to talk about because of that reason. Do you, do you feel like you've earned the name now that you have embodied all these ancestral skills almost like you could call yourself a, a bunny or a rabbit name at this point because you ate so many <laughs> like you you even said on the there was one of the things they actually showed that you're like I'm part rabbit now <laughs> like I'm or that all of yeah, your cells absolutely. were so do you feel like through the time that you've spent being like because you have integrity with these skills that you're that you've embodied and then you're, you're living and you're teaching does that remove or do you still feel you some know, of that no i don't i don't think that there's any earning a thing that is you know something that i took without permission uh, you know so i mean wow. i think that it's not an inappropriate name if you look at it in that way but if you look at it through the lens of cultural appropriation yeah. i don't think that you know, that there is anything that just changes. I mean, sure, I think that someone who didn't have a relationship with the skills and wasn't aware of these concepts, maybe it would be a less appropriate thing for, or it would be more harmful right. for someone else. But I don't feel like that makes it just okay, you know, not That's... unless I had, you know, and, and, I, and I have spoken to Lakota people about this too, so it's not I'm completely without relationship to Lakota people, um, but, you know, yeah, that no, I can't. Of people who are all going to have really different opinions about it. So, <laughs> but it's, it's not it's for an, me to say whether or not I earned it. I guess is the is the bottom line. It's an appropriate. It's an important conversation. Like, because since we're in this crazy time of, uh, I mean, what's happening with our world right now? There's so. But to even just to recognize a situation, it's like for me in white guilt. Like I have to constantly come up against it and say, Yeah, I'm. Oh, did I lose you? I lost you. You're back. I know. Sorry about that. No, hey, it's all good. Cell phone here, so. And you're out. In, you're up there in the mountains in Grass Valley. Okay, so here's my next question: How are you friends with a giant okay. cat? 
like the the profile shot. Yeah, the, the picture the, the of the. You you're looking that. at the. You're looking mm-hmm. into the eyes of this enormous cat. I, I'm a cat person. I'm a crazy cat lady. Like mm-hmm. I love cats. And I saw that picture. I'm like, how are you friends with a giant cat? I mean, that's actually a pretty small bobcat as they go. Um, <laughs> it's large, large compared to house cats. But that was a cat that had been hit on the road. Oh. Um, so that cat was no longer alive. Oh, really? I thought you were looking deeply yeah. into the eyes of a cat. See, look at me. I completely I misinterpreted the picture. You were. I mean, I was doing that. Yeah. yeah. That, though that's all still true. So... And, and so for me, uh, when I was watching you, I was so affected and I kept like kind of putting myself where you were. It was so, oh, it was so incredible because you're filming yourself and it's like so intimate because it was almost like I was with you and that's got to be weird right. for you. And I'm wondering how like that affected you with the camera and the intimacy. But also when I was watching you, I kept thinking I could never... And you, there were times where you'd pick up an animal and look at it and be like, thank you, thank you, thank you for feeding me. And, and you had to be like intimate with that animal and pull off its skin and do all that stuff. Is that, I mean, how do you do that? I, 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 maybe I'm just so removed from <laughs> survival and life that like I just couldn't imagine I mean, I was watching you do it, and that was hard for me. Like, I, when I saw Jordan with the Wolverine, and I saw his little face and his teeth, and I was like, I'm making myself watch this. But, like, how did, was that interacting with you? With Were you just so grateful for the food that it wasn't, or that's just not freaky for you? It's just not freaky for me. That's been a part of my life for a really long time. You know, I've raised my own meat animals. Um, you know, and I was vegetarian and vegan at one point. So I was, like, very anti-hunting and PETA and vegetarian in high school. Um, but once I started being introduced to ancestral skills, and, you know, I went right from being vegan to processing and eating roadkill. Wow. Um, and, I'm, you know, I have a science background and a deep connection with animals, and it's never... It has never felt like a juxtaposition to me to love and feel connected to a wild creature and to, you know, skin it and break down its body for food and eat it. That is the most natural thing in the world to me. And to me, the barriers that our society puts up and the the removal from our food source, that's what feels weird and wrong to me. Um, So, yeah, it certainly was not an issue for me out there and nor in my life in general. See, I, um, I, I cook. One of the things I do for a living is I, I, I cook. I have no problem if an animal has no head. Like I can, I've processed so many (laughs) birds. I've deboned so many birds in my time. Like it's, but if they have a head, I can't do it. And, and I think maybe it must be something to do with the way I was raised. And I was so far removed. Even when I am working with a food source, I'm still removed from it. Even when it's whole. So. Right. Uh, talk a little bit about Buckskin Revolution and what you're doing to try to create that connection again with people and the way we should, I don't want to say should be living our lives, that's weird, but the way we did for thousands of years and then it's just this little tiny little bit here at the end where we're so removed from it. Exactly, right, yeah. Um so, yeah, I mean, you've kind of you've hit the nail on the head there that my work with Buckskin Revolution is to kind of um, invite people back into that place of connection, not just with the world around them, um, but with our own selves, with our human communities, and with, 
with our ancestry as humans and what it is that we evolved to do. And absolutely, the bodies that we live in evolved over the course of hundreds of thousands of years, millions of years, to, to allow us to engage deeply with the world around us. And it's only been a few hundred years that that's completely shifted to where we no longer need a lot of these senses that we evolved with. And I think that you know, the malaise that we see in our modern society and so many people who are unsatisfied and, you know, dealing with depression and feel like there's something missing from their lives. I believe that that is because we are living lives that are so different from what we evolved to do. And that does, you know, that does leave a feeling of something missing. You know, we have all of these amazing sensory perceptions that are about engaging with the world around us. And instead, we engage with screens, you know, 12 inches from our faces, and we fill our senses with noises. And, you know, like right now, there's a helicopter overhead, and I can hear the highway. And, you know, my ears evolved to the frequency of bird song. And knowing what's going on in the forest around me through paying attention to what the birds are doing. And, um, yeah, I think that the degree to which we engage those skills, those senses, those parts of our body, you know, just our hands in, in fashioning things that we need for our lives, there's something deeply fulfilling about that, you know, on a level that we don't even really know how to verbalize. Um, and Crafting, well, that, it's that's making... what I'm trying to share. When, when humans, I mean, we as humans, all we really have is the ability to create things right either thought or stuff and I feel like and watching you craft it's uh, that was the thing okay so at the beginning of the show they don't show you for like two weeks and I get it it's a reality tv show and they had to show the people that were going to break their leg and get kicked off and they had to show their stories a little (laughs) bit because they were leaving and you were going to be there forever but all those things that we didn't get to see like you were just sitting on the ground weaving baskets for two weeks or like what was because you were, I mean, obviously you were doing things. You were. There's a lot going on in those first couple of weeks. Yeah. So it was all like um, building your amazing shelter, which was like the best shelter. I was like, I want to live there. That's. <laughs> it was. It looked warm and snug and like a real little house, but you were like mm-hmm. literally crafting all the time. Yeah, I mean, when you weren't looking uh, for well, there's all or... kinds of things. I mean, it's it's hard to sum up. It was a huge time. You know, I mean, it starts off with the most important thing that you can be doing is, yeah, getting your shelter set and then starting to to key into your environment and where the food sources are and strategizing how you're going to avail yourself of those. So that was what, you know, my first couple days were scouting my site and deciding where to set up my shelter and um, being sure that I was in the best possible location and then starting to build. And, you know, we we had snow on day three. So it was full on from the very beginning. And so I was constantly in this place of trying to balance food, resources, and shelter, and, you know, when I woke up covered in snow, obviously that's going to nudge me to prioritize shelter um, for that day, Um, but always trying to hold both of those things, and um, certainly the first few days were more focused on shelter for me because I knew that my body still had a lot of calories in it because we had been gorging up until we left, so I knew that my system had as much energy, you know, at the very beginning as I was likely to have. and so I wanted to really focus on shelter at first while I knew I still had those, those you know, glycogen stores in my liver. Um, wow. <laughs> and, um, but by day four, I started hitting fishing really hard. And over the course of the next couple of weeks, um, doing, you know, doing a lot more focus on fishing until it became increasingly clear that I was not in a location that had fish. Right. Um, you just I had very, very shallow water. 
that must have been so frustrating that you crafted all those lures and you were out there and just sitting for hours I mean were you listening to the birds like <laughs> did you you just I mean I was doing it no <laughs> I was constantly constantly active oh. doing everything I possibly could to improve my situation every daylight hour and well into the night by headlamp there was no downtime and listening to birds Okay. Um, you know, but like the, that's something that I was doing as I was doing everything oh, else, gotcha. you know, like part of my awareness would be there. But, um, but no, constantly, you Help. know, bringing in firewood, working on the shelter, you know, strategizing new ways to, to try to make fishing happening, finding, you know, scouting the landscape and seeing whether there were any other better places for fishing, going, you know, making a moose call and going into the woods and calling moose. I mean, I was, I was, splitting my strategy between fishing and bringing in moose but that, and you know you were asking like what were the resources that I had my site was very resource scarce compared to a lot of the other sites I didn't have big game you know I was hoping for problems with bears because I had a bow 45 pound bow and broadheads and I would have been thrilled to have bears sniffing around my camp and that happened with a lot of other people but that's not you know I was on a narrow rocky peninsula with no fish and no big game and really actually very scarce small game because it was, you know, mostly bare rock. Right. Um, I, so in terms of, you asked earlier, in terms of resources, somewhere like Jordan's area where he had fish and big game and a ton of small game, I mean, he was in an area that had been burned a couple years before, which means there's a ton of vegetation regrowth. It's one of the most abundant sites that, it, you know, that you can possibly have. Um, and mine, in contrast, was a bare rocky peninsula surrounded by shallow water. Right, so, with where you yeah. got to, now here's another question I have, uh, what's your dance background? And I was so bummed that they only showed you once <laughs> with your, because I, I watched all of your YouTubes after and you're like, I was dancing every night I had a dance party until the last week. and um, Not every night, once a week. Once, once a, week. a week, oh okay. But you sang the sun yep. up every morning. I sang the sun down every evening. Sang the sun down. Um, yeah. But these were rituals. I sang the sun up a lot of mornings, but not every morning because okay. mornings were a lot more challenging, frankly. What, was it just, it was so <laughs> cold? Maybe all the more reason. Was it getting out of bed was just yeah, so difficult? Yeah, it was cold. Yeah, it yeah, was cold. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, as time went on, things just, you know, like starving for weeks on end um, and really, really cold temperatures and not sleeping well because generally when one is, um, really undernourished and in ketosis, it tends to affect your sleep patterns. Um, so, so yeah, but getting out of a sleeping bag into minus 20 degrees oh. and you haven't had anything to eat for weeks is challenging. Yeah. So, I'm, and my voice is a little more croaky in the morning. So, wow. <laughs> so my right. singing practice singing, is more sure. consistent in the evenings than in the morning. And, but these were rituals. So this is kind of goes back to the ancestral thing. So you were creating rituals for yourself out there. And is that what, like, helped keep you grounded? And then, like, what, what, would, what did you find? Because I also, you also made ancestral plates. Like you said that when you were cooking your food, you were like, how did? I don't want to like say like how did that witchy stuff help you? But I, I mean, I'm into it too. So, but you were you were performing all of these rituals. How did that like bolster your attitude and your how you were spending out there? Because I didn't see anybody else like doing rituals like that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that, um, I think that ritual has a certain connotation, which isn't necessarily how I would describe it. I mean, I think that has a lot of connotations, some that fit and some that don't. But I would say, yeah, I mean, definitely 
I wove into my life a lot of practices that reminded me to be coming from a place of gratitude and connection. Um, I just, you know, like I, I've posted videos about making blood pudding and have some people say that I'm like doing satanic practices or something. So I'm leery around the term ritual sure, because sure, people sure. can take that and sure. run with it all kinds of weird places. Um, Right. Well, so you're anyway, like a celebrity yeah, now, I, so you you have to you do have to watch. What? No, seriously, because words of people. That's I'm not sure. The word I would use necessarily, but I have a higher profile than I used to. Millions of people have seen you, like, sure. and all of yeah, the skills that. I mean, do you feel like this was the this is what you've been working your whole life for? Like, all of your skills came to fruition for this time that you were able to survive. I mean, not just for that time, for, for similar things. For all time. It definitely felt like a fruition of a lot of things, but it, I don't like to think of it as like an end goal because then what, what do you have after an end goal? <laughs> right, sure. So, yes, it was definitely a culmination of, um, of things that have been a huge part of my life for decades. Um, yeah, but I hope that it's not the last time oh, no. that I get to use all of those skills that I'm sure you're using the skills right now. Um, so back, I didn't, a dance background. So were you a dancer as a child? Because you. No, not at all. Um, I mean, I am someone who, lo- I mean, I guess, yes, I got dragged to ballet at four and, you know, did somersaults and tutus and such. But that's the, that's the sum total of my dance background. I mean, I'm, I'm someone who loves dancing and have taken, you know, I have taken different dance classes, but um, mostly just reform, um, you know, like five rhythms and ecstatic dance and that kind of thing. Um, I wouldn't say it's a background, but just something that's a part of who I am and something that I really love. Rad. I just, uh, yay. Um, okay, so I have all of these questions about cameras. Did they train? Okay, so mm-hmm. it was a crazy show to watch because it was beautifully shot. And I know that some of it was be real and like they are a show and they, mm-hmm. they're doing what they do. But the majority of the and they stuff... they go over sites with drones occasionally and that kind of thing. So they do, you know, bolster what we do. But you are your own camera person, which I don't... It took me yeah. a while to realize that. I'm like, so do the camera crew... I kept thinking, like, the camera crew gets lunch, like, while they're starving. That's inhumane. That's terrible. But then I realized, like, wait, 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 no. No, there, no there's no camera There's crew. no one there. No, right, no. It, it's actually literally... I mean, the show is called Alone for a reason. Yeah. It's quite literal. Yeah. I just didn't believe it at the beginning, and then I'm like, okay, this is real. So, did they t- teach you how to use camera, or did they tell you like what shots they wanted yes. you to do, or where? Okay. Yeah. No. Absolutely. That's a big part of the prep before going out. Is um, is yeah the the camera training, and that happens also in the selection process. Um, you know, when they 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 had for my season, I think they had twenty thousand applicants Whoa. on alone. Um. And then, and, and I didn't apply, they, they called me. Um, and so, you know, I kind of got a, got a leg up in that whole process, but, um, but then they narrow those 20,000 down to 20, in my case, 22 people. And then they bring us out to New York for a week to do a bunch of different assessments, um, skills assessments, you know, physical tests, psychological tests. And in that they do a bunch of camera training. And then they're also, um, I think they're also really paying attention to see who cares to dive into the camera training and who's actually really um, prioritizing learning the camera skills because you can have all of the survival skills in the world but if you're not that interested in shooting well then they don't have a show right you know? so very important that um that they select people who care to do a good job with the camera training which you know i did yeah um, 
I mean, so, it was beautiful. It was beautifully yeah. shot. And even like when you're, I guess kept thinking like, how much time are you spending with the camera? Because the sun is going down and you're chipping through this ice and it's 18 inches thick and you didn't have the ax. You had your cool thing that you chopped the trees down with and, and you're just going and going and going. And I was like, how much time did the camera take to set up? And then you have to take it home and well, all these and other that, like. Yeah, and that's, that's a huge component. And honestly, you know, I would do it differently now than I did then. I was very, very invested. I mean, really the reason why, and there were a lot of different reasons why I decided to do alone, but a big part of it for me wasn't, you know, I wasn't about the competition. It would have been great to win on some level, sure. And there were some levels where I didn't actually think that winning would be the thing. Um, but m one of my main goals was to demonstrate a different way of approaching survival than what one usually sees on these shows. And, you know, it usually tends to be about like competition and coming from this very antagonistic place with the natural world. And like, mm. you know, it's me versus nature. And, you know, even one of the shows is called man versus wild, right. you know, and that is the polar opposite to my perspective and how I wanted to be out there. So for me, it was the opportunity to share my perspective with the world stage and knowing that the, you know, the better I did, the more I, the more I proved that going about things from a place of connection and reciprocity rather than domination and, you know, competition is a viable strategy, is a viable strategy for survival. So, um, because that was such a goal of mine, I really took a lot of time with the filming, and that was a huge part. I would say half of my daylight hours and, you know, calories and time and energy went to getting really good shots. Wow. And it, would, it would affect what I did, you know. I would choose to do things, like I would process my animals during the day, during the daylight hours, so I could get really good footage of it, when for me, practically speaking, it would be way better for me to leave that animal in my shelter and do it at night because there are tons of things I can be doing out on the land when the sun is out that I can't do in the dark. And the sun was only out for four hours a day by the time I left. So every daylight hour was so huge. And yet I sacrificed a lot of them to get the good camera angles and to set up the good shots and do the good filming. And then it was so disappointing to watch the show and see that like way less than 1% of the things I filmed made it onto the show. And I could have done, so I, I could probably have had twice as much food if I had had twice as much time. Oh. Well, honestly, I'm not sure that that's true because my spot was so resource scarce. But, you know, I could have done much better in terms of the survival aspect had I not put so much energy towards filming really well. Um, so, you know, I don't want to say that anything is a regret because it was the most amazing experience I've ever had. And had I shifted some things, then maybe other things that I can't know now would have shifted and that would have been a bummer. But... I would do it differently in terms of so much time and attention towards filming well if I was to do it again. How many hours a day did they ask you to film? Because we were we were asked to film absolutely everything we did. Wow. So what did they give you batteries we had every legally time? We require that. So we had we had a way to recharge our own batteries. We had a big like essentially like a big car battery um, uh -huh. that we could recharge some of the batteries ourselves, but then they would also give us a ton of batteries when they came to do medical Med checks. checks. And then figured. also early on when they weren't doing medical checks and when the lake wasn't frozen, they would um, they would do what they called blind drops, or we would have a dry bag and we would leave our dead batteries and our 
SD cards with our footage on the shore in a dry bag, and they would come by with a boat and grab that bag and replace it with a bunch of fresh batteries. So and, we, but they wouldn't you know, talk they never to you. wanted us to be without batteries. Of course. No, no, like, we, we didn't even see the boat. We weren't supposed to be anywhere near shore when they did that. They would let us know, okay, we're doing a blind drop today. Don't be anywhere on shore, you know, between this hour and this hour. So did you look forward to med checks just because they were people like when they started happening or was it like, oh, med checks, I don't want to, I don't want to know. Or No, I didn't. I didn't really look forward to them. I felt like it really interrupted my routine. I mean, oh. one thing is that a day with a med check was kind of a lost day oh, in right. terms of food no gathering daylight. because they would give me a window when they, when they were coming, but they didn't know when exactly. So I couldn't be that far from my shelter and my trap lines were a good ways away from my shelter. Yeah. Um, and so it meant it meant losing a ton of time. It meant like stripping. I mean, they weighed me. I had to strip down in the freezing cold, you know. Um, and it just when you're so adjusted to being out there on your own, like I wasn't lonely. I was loving it. I like really had this beautiful um, connection and solitude. And um, you know, having a helicopter land and a whole bunch of people come out and you know poke and prod you and ask you a bunch of questions is very disruptive. And it was a whole different energy. And it took me a while after they left to kind of get back to my serenity after everything being so stirred up in this whole different type of interaction. Um, so I know I did not look forward to the medical. I mean, I really had a deep connection with a lot of the people um, who were coming with the film crew. Like I really appreciated them as people. And so it's not like I didn't enjoy the interaction when they were there, right. but it was still so disruptive that I would rather have not had it. And towards the end, you know, I was having medical checks a lot more often because I was dangerously underweight and I knew they were very, very concerned about me. So I had the fear of being pulled up you know, all the time. Um, right. I got my first warning that I was on medical alert on day 40. Whoa. So 33 more days, I was out there wondering when I was going to get pulled and having medical checks way too often that were very disruptive and actually really um, affected my ability to bring in food a lot. So it's like, yeah. you're underweight, so we're going to check you more often. And it's like, well, the more that you check me, the more underweight I'm going to get because that's the whole day that I lose a lot of my trapping capacity. Uh, how far, you said you're, Traps were a ways away, like a mile. I'm just trying to think calorie wise. No, no. no not uh, that far. I mean, uh, it changed all the time. You know, okay. I had different trap lines set up. I was constantly, I mean, every day I was checking and resetting because I had fishing line and not snare wire. Fishing line rabbits can chew through in, you know, oh, half a yeah. second. So I was constantly, constantly having to take down and reset up other snares and you know the rabbits would be onto me if I had set up a bunch that they had just nipped off in one area they would stop using that area so I had to constantly be exploiting other areas and you know so there was no set trap line that was there all the time it was you know constant strategizing and shifting up what I was doing how so many sometimes I don't know probably as far as half a mile okay. but not not a whole mile away and you know I my territory you don't know how big your zone is you know you're not you have boundaries you're not allowed to cross but it's not like they're marked you know this is way out in the wilderness so the way that I would know is if I got a little blip on my GPS device. What? Um, and then let's talk about so, the beavers. Oh, oh, I saw the thing when you talked about the beavers. I want to talk about the beavers. So when everything finally freezes <laughs> up and you're like, all right, I'm going to go get those beavers. And you get over to the beavers, you can't get to dang beavers. And then the frozen river and the beeping and the leaving. That was crazy. So 
Yeah. Did you, was was that the first time that you felt, (laughs) was that the first time you felt real fear or were there other moments where you were like, I could die right now? Was that the only moment that was at like the end of your journey and you were like, whoa. That was the only moment. Really? You never felt any, like Mm -hmm. that was a kind of fear that like, I can imagine it's like inside, you're like the pit of your being is like, oh, whoa, we need to. Well, and the thing with that frozen river was, yeah, I mean, that was like, I never felt any threats from the outside, like being on the river, that was my own fault. You know, (sighs) that was, that was my own poor choices right in that moment. So I didn't really have anything. So I felt fear, but I also felt like shame at like, wow, that was a really stupid choice. You just really put yourself in jeopardy. Um, But that was the only moment. No, I really, you know, I, I understand that it maybe should have been scary and um, that it would be for a lot of people, but I felt so seen and held and wanted by that place. I just really didn't feel like there was anything out there that wished me harm. And even, you know, I mean, I was out there on top of that frozen river because I'd been following wolf tracks um, across the ice and, you know, wolves are big predators, but I, you know, I didn't feel like I was in any danger which is not true, you know, like something could have decided that I was an even, uh, you know, a, an easy meal. But even so, I mean, my deepest desire was to be a deep part of that landscape. And that is part of, that is part of living wild and wild systems. And so in that way, I mean, I'm sure that had I been attacked by a wolf in the moment, it would have been very scary. But, you know, better would to go out that way as part of a beautiful interaction in a wild place than to get taken out in a car accident sure. you know did you have an so, arrow knocked so i wasn't did you have an arrow knocked uh, when you were on that out? no i didn't have an arrow knock i'm trying to remember if i even had my bow with wow. me i probably did because i brought my bow everywhere but no i definitely didn't have an arrow knock because you were I just walking and having my bow with me on that trip you were just yeah, experiencing I mean, you know, the beauty I, of the place it's not that common for wolves to take out people and especially in an environment where they don't see people it's not like we're on the menu it would be an unusual animal that's like what is this thing i've never seen before i guess i'll figure it out by eating it you know (laughs) generally that's there would be a curiosity you know the place where you see problem animals is places where humans have been encroaching into wild places a lot and affecting wild animals ability to get game you know like bears attacking people that happens usually in like campgrounds and such and places where they're used to associating humans with food um, so yeah, I mean, which is not to say that, you know, that they mightn't be motivated that way, but <laughs> it just wasn't, I didn't feel in my gut that I was in danger in those ways. Right. So just from yeah, the I had one water. moment when I was coming back. Yeah. Just from standing on top of water, you know, of, of ice that was way thinner than it should have been to me be standing on top of a frozen river. I just didn't realize. And for the, for the, you know, listening audience right now, what she's referring to is a night pretty far out. I think it was night 70, maybe 69 or 70. Um, I, I had hiked out across the ice. I was way out of my bounds. I didn't realize that because the GPS signals and satellite signals are um, really bad out there. So the message telling me that I was way out of bounds didn't come until I was already far out. Um, but it was kind of dusk. I couldn't really, you know, the light was starting to go and I was in this area on this lake, which is this huge lake, um, where the ice was starting to be 
uh, not flat, but kind of bubbled. And I was curious about it. And I thought that it must have been, you know, vegetation or something. And I didn't realize until I was already pretty far out that the reason why it wasn't flat there is because it's actually a, a river. And so it was like the bubbling flow of the river that had frozen and it was not very thick ice. And um, because that's what happens, ice that's on top of flowing water doesn't, doesn't freeze very quickly. So it's a really dangerous, really sketchy place to be. And I just, you know, and that it was so enthralled it was by dusk. following these wolf tracks. The, the dust, yeah, so you, they couldn't they have come to help me. They couldn't have flown the helicopter. They, yeah, they wouldn't have. Not been that able. they could have gotten there. I mean, if I had gone through ice on top of a fast-moving frozen river, there would have been nothing they could do. I would have <sighs> been stuffed under the ice anyway, and <sighs> the helicopter would have been a non-issue. <laughs> and I knew that. You know, that's that was that's the. You know, I've done a lot of wilderness trips in my day and I've never in my life had a button I could push for someone to come save me so <laughs> I, that wasn't really part of my reality out there like I knew that everything I was doing was a calculated risk and that you know the chance of rescue was a pretty remote one so that that didn't figure into my thinking out there wow. um that's why you're so, a superhero yeah. you're fearless um, you're a fearless feminist <laughs> superhero I'm not fearless but that those aren't the things that I'm most afraid of I guess well, wow. okay, so let's switch gears. What are the top five most beautiful things you saw up there that you could, there's probably got to be more than five, mm. but that you For hadn't sure. seen in any of your wilderness journeys that you were just so majestic that that they didn't show on the show? I mean, they showed a lot of the northern lights, and I kept being like, is that, that's crazy. Those are, wow. Um, they are crazy. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that area, Yellowknife, um, in the Northwest Territories, is um, a worldwide destination for Northern Lights tourism. I mean, the streets are awash with tourists um, who come there to watch the Northern Lights. So, yeah, all that footage was very real. Uh, so, yeah, the Northern Lights definitely. I, I'd seen Northern Lights before. Um, I'd lived in Northern Ontario for a brief time um, and seen some pretty spectacular Northern Lights there. But, yeah, that was those were really, really amazing. Um, the night that I was out on the ice, the night that they showed the footage of where I was trying to get through the ice and realizing that it, in the course of the couple days that I hadn't been out on the ice because there'd been a really intense storm, a really intense storm that drops the temperature about 20 degrees with just whipping winds. And that storm, the ice went from about four inches thick to about you know 18 to 24 inches thick. Um, so I had been able to get through the ice with the same technique I was using before that, and then all of a sudden there was no way. But that ice, that 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 night, that sunset was the most epically beautiful, awe-inspiring evening of my entire life. And it was really frustrating to me that what they showed instead was me failing to get through the ice, and they inserted bleats. I'm fairly certain I wasn't actually cussing. Um, I don't know for sure. Maybe I was, but they, but they made it look like a hardship, and it was one of the most amazing nights in my life. Such that, like, I just fully surrendered after that, and was like, if they pick me up tomorrow, I don't care because I got to have this night out on the ice. It was this experience where I was out there, and the ice was completely scoured clean to just a mirror surface from this really intense storm we had had for days and days with heavy winds, and you know, like scouring the ice with snow. Yeah. Um, and the sun was going down, and because the storm was just clearing, there were a lot of clouds, so the color was really intense. And the sky was just this amazing hot pink, 
orange, you know, beautiful colors. And then I'm standing on this ice that is so smooth that it's reflecting the sunset back at me. So it's like I'm standing in the middle of the sunset. You know, I'm completely surrounded by sunset colors everywhere. And then the night was just so gorgeous. Once I figured out that I couldn't get through that ice, I just decided to go further out onto the lake and just revel in it. And I got further out into the ice in an area where the the pressure of the ice freezing so fast had cracked the surface of the lake. So it's all of these different pieces of ice that had all been kind of pushed up by the pressure of the cracking. And so they were all of these little pieces that were all sitting at a different angle to the oh. sky. So each one was catching a different color. Like Superman. And and reflecting that back at me, it was, yeah, yeah, only sunset. Oh, like, sunset. Superman ice cave, sunset time. so epically unbelievable. And then as I'm out there on the ice, the moon is rising. Oh. And it's like exactly half of a moon and exactly vertical. So that's rising up over the island as this amazing, it was just the most amazing experience of my entire life. And, you know. Why I mean, didn't they show like that? You must. with beauty. Do you get to keep the footage? Well, because they want to show the drama. No, no, you don't get it. You put the footage. Well, and honestly, I didn't bring the cameras oh. out there. I mean, I did take footage. No, I did take footage of the moon rising, but when I went out to where there was the puzzle pieces, I left the camera set up by that hole, and I just wandered out by myself, which I wasn't really supposed to do. But it was, like, too epic and amazing. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. Um, you know, they could have showed. There was a lot of footage of it. There just wasn't the footage of the, like, me on the puzzle piece part of the ice right. um but because that's not you know they're trying to build the drama and this is the last couple of days and so they're trying to pitch this like you know battle to the end between me and jordan and um you know so just the beauty and wonder um most of my most epic moments i took great footage of but they didn't show um, I they should give i also you that had a, a moment yeah yeah they don't they don't do that um it would jeopardize their show i think is their their perspective on it so yeah those were those were i mean i could go on there are a bunch of them but um oh, more beautiful <laughs> moments no no please <laughs> what, what are your other epic like things that were i mean because that's oh, there are so many you can yeah, just pick a random one <laughs> the, the whole place yeah okay so so one moment that was really really profound early on um I mean, the whole thing was that, like, early on when we first launched, it was, you know, we had just been having our first intense frost, um, so everything was changing, the leaves were all changing, so this super, super stark landscape, you know, huge lake that's like a steel gray most of the time, and mostly bare rock, you know, this really amazing granite, and huge towering cliffs, you know, vertical cliffs, and the whole landscape is so enormous you can't even begin to wrap your mind around it so like this super stark landscape with these amazing just flame colors of fall you know and I had this moment after being out there for you know going on a couple weeks and not bringing in any food besides just a couple handfuls of berries and recognizing that rather than feeling weaker and weaker I'm feeling better and better and there was just this moment where I realized that I was shifting on a physiological level to where I was learning to be fed by beauty instead of by food and just that like that all hitting me in one moment standing on this rocky precipice looking out over this landscape looking out over this lake and recognizing that even though I'm starving and I don't know how long I can keep going on starving like there's no place in the world I would rather be or anything I would rather be doing in that moment and just that epic beauty 
being so profound that it just brought tears to my eyes. You know, I just like, there was no way to hold all of the emotions in my body. And it just came through in the form of tears um, and recognizing that like I could, I could live on beauty now and I could do that for a really long time and had every intention of doing so. So that was a really profound moment. Um, I had a moment where I was, at my cabin working on it and heard and heard a big kerfuffle of birds, you know, like I, I was really keyed into birds out there um, and I knew their patterns. And so I could tell that there was something unusual happening and, um, and going out to where I heard this and seeing this kind of a classic bird language moment, which was all of these birds in a shape that we call in bird language, a parabola around the top of this tree and looking in the top of that tree and seeing a huge, um, predatory bird up there, uh, a northern goshawk, I believe it was, which is specifically an avian predator. They're, they take out birds, and so there's something that birds really react to. So having that moment of, like, being keyed in enough to the landscape to think something's going on, something big is happening, and then going out there and finding the source of it and getting to see this amazing bird that I've never seen before in my life, that was a really profound one. Um, I had a really profound encounter with a fox um, that was really beautiful, um, yeah, I mean, seeing tracks, seeing wolverine tracks. You know, I'd never seen wolverine tracks. Seeing lynx tracks, that was amazing. Wolf tracks, I mean, all of these wildlife encounters that were creatures that I haven't had the opportunity to live in the territory of before. So, and even though the lynx tracks and the wolverine tracks were, like, dogging my track line and potentially major competitors for my food, it was still so amazing to see that, that it, it felt worth it. You know? And so you never, um, it sounds like you just didn't feel alone at all. <laughs> like you were interacting. How could I? So I was surrounded deeply. by life. Yeah, that it was. Yeah. It, it's like a completely different journey than other people took. Did the camera help Apparently, you? Apparently, feel... which I didn't realize until watching it. Yeah, like, that, that... I had no idea how different my journey was to other journeys until I was watching the show and thinking, "Oh my God, I had the time of my life, and these people are out here experiencing the exact same conditions in the exact same place." and suffering so hard right that was a really profound realization for me just how I mean I knew what a big difference attitudes made and and like we talked about you know like a lot of my preparations were strategizing routines for myself to help me stay in a place of connection and gratitude but it wasn't until watching other journeys you know other folks on my same season that I really got on a deeper level how profound a difference that was it must have, it must have killed you to watch Jordan sit there and complain and be like oh I'm starving with 200 pounds of moose <laughs> look at this I thought that was so funny but it I mean my interpretation of it wasn't that he was complaining as much as that the show was choosing to ah. take those moments out of his footage okay to make it seem like he and I were neck and neck right um so you know I have enough experience in knowing how many things I filmed and the things that they chose to show of my things in a way that misrepresented my journey that I believe that that is what they were doing with with him too sure. not misrepresented but just you know picking and choosing to give a certain impression right to um, get the story that I they knew wanted that Jordan was nowhere near as poorly off yeah exactly yeah because they're I mean they are it is a tv show and they are creating a story did 